We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween's. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Yeah, we're here tonight after a loss. We, look, we've grown so accustomed to winning right now this year. It's kind of crazy, man. They lost one game in the middle of the Dallas and then ripped off another four straight heading into this one. Four-game winning streak. Comes to an end, unfortunately, with the Giants losing to the Seahawks. And by a score of 27-13, to 13, wasn't it like a typical, they're, you know, close and lose at the end, though? They did have a shot in the fourth quarter down down one score, 20 to 13 before the Richie James fumble. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the other fumble, which was another momentum swing. Ultimately, Nick, they couldn't get the job done today. A few things that I thought were interesting to start. One, just the irony behind two years ago, beating the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle against Russell Wilson is kind of what kickstarted the Joe Judge bandwagon. Now, to be clear, and this is not hindsight. You can go back and listen to the podcast. I was never on that bandwagon. I know the rest of the fan base was. He just wasn't for me, Joe Judge. I just didn't love the process. But that win started a big bandwagon for him. And why did they win that football game, Nick? They didn't win that football game because they were more talented than the Seahawks that year. It was an upset. They didn't win that football game because it was a sign of things to come under Judge. He was fired in the next year and a half. They won that game because Seattle was wildly undisciplined in the run game. Wildly undisciplined. With those win- Some of those Wayne Goldman runs were absurd, just poor run fits by the Seahawks. And it's so ironic because today the Giants lose this game because the Seahawks were wildly disciplined against the run. They were wildly disciplined against Daniel Jones and any threat of him running the football. They were wildly disciplined in their game plan, which everyone has right now, which is stack the box to stop Saquon Barkley. Do not let 26 beat you. All eyes on 26. We don't care what that means. We don't care who that leaves open. And at some point, you can continue to blame one factor for this. But at some point, it's not about blame game. It's just about why is the Giants offense not scoring? And that's what stood out to me in this one, Nick, because I my expectation going into this game, I predicted the Giants would lose. You predicted the Giants would lose too, Nick. We did it on the preview podcast with Danny Kelly. I also predicted the Giants would beat the Ravens. I also predicted the Giants would beat, um, why am I blanking on it now, whoever the, the Jaguars. So I, it's not like we're only predicting losses here. This game felt like a loss, but I did not think it would go down like this. So that's the first part that I want to uncover with you and unpack with you, Nick. And it's why did this Giants offense struggle so mightily 
against the Seattle Seahawks defense that came to this game, allowing 4.9 yards per carry against the Seattle Seahawks defense that came to this game, giving up a lot of points on a consistent basis throughout the season. This was not the Dallas Cowboys matchup of week three, where chalk it up to giants were outmatched on the defensive by their defensive line versus our offensive line. Couldn't get anything going. That wasn't the case. In my opinion, the pressure was not a factor in this game. The Giants offensive line blocked pretty well, given what they were supposed to do on those third and long situations and on early first downs. So I guess I would ask you, were you as surprised as I was that just how they lost this game being so like, cause if they had lost this game, Nick 27 to 24 Giants offense gets it going like they did against Jacksonville last week. And they just lose in the end because Geno Smith throws a good ball or something like that. I'd be like, all right, fine. They're in Seattle. I get it. But to lose like this with almost no offense at all, that's the part that scares me and just and, and it just surprised me. I can I can say it's surprising. I think it's fair to say that more so that the offense never got anything together. The offense was horrendous. Last week it was the defense, and we talked a lot about how the defense had its struggles. This week it was the offense, and it's not even necessarily the fact that Saquon Barkley couldn't really get anything going because if you look at the Seattle defense, I feel like they're playing a lot better. Like last week against the right. Chargers, they were all over Justin Herbert. And the Chargers, like we say, they have a fake sharp leading their team right now. But still, you have Justin Herbert. You have some you have some pieces there. And they shut down Austin Eckler and their rushing attack going on there. And then the previous week, I believe Kyler Murray did some things with his legs against him. But they were able to stifle the other fake sharp that is in the NFC West, not the AFC West, in Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. So it, it seems like that defense was starting to come together. Right. But I figured what would happen is they would shut down the run and then you'd start to see those adjustments and you'd start to see the RPO work, which we saw a little bit in the beginning of the game, start to see some move the pocket. But you saw it early in the game. Daniel Jones tried to do a play action rollout, and I don't know if it was Boye Mafe or what edge it was, but he just didn't even pay attention to Daniel Jones going to give the football off the Saquon Barkley. Yeah. He ran directly to the point where Daniel Jones was going to turn out with the football, and Daniel Jones had to spin back inside, and it was this really weird, awkward type of play. So at that point, I was like, all right, they're going to figure out something. They're going to start to adjust, and the Giants just never really we're able to do that on the offensive side of the football. And we're going to see exactly why once we get to the all 22. So tune into us tomorrow and the next day on why exactly that happened. But the lack of success offensively, I would say was a little surprising, but also should it have been because giants had two new starters going into that game. And we saw how many false start penalties. We saw a lot of starters with Bellinger or you just mean on the yeah. line. Yep. I was just talking about the yeah the offensive line, and then obviously without Bellinger, that's a huge loss. We know how crucial he was to this offense as well. So I don't even know if we should have been that surprised. We knew that was going to be an issue, but I think we probably thought that the coaching edge that the Giants have in every single game was going to put them ahead of the Seattle Seahawks. But guess what? As good as the Giants coaches are, Pete Carroll and that coaching staff, they're damn good too. And they were home, and they just outplayed the Giants in this game. This definitely felt like the first game this season where overall – the Giants were outcoached. Like we had had signs earlier in the season. Like, look, I thought Kellen Moore outcoached Wink in week three. I think a case could be made Doug Peterson outcoached Wink last week just from an offense and defense standpoint. But overall coaching, Dable versus the field, this is probably the first game I felt like maybe they got outcoached a little bit overall as well. And it's just interesting to me because they came off their best tape by far to me on offense against the Jaguars. And I don't really think even an improved Seahawks defense was that much better talent-wise, on paper, schematically, anything than the Jaguars. But the big difference was they were disciplined and they were not going to let the Giants beat them the same way the Giants have beat the Jaguars and the Packers and the Bears and all these games on this four-game hot streak from the offense. And that was with 
a lot of the misdirection, a lot of the move the pocket stuff with Daniel Jones, a lot of let Daniel Jones have option to run on the outside or throw. And the big concern for me, Nick, is, is this something that can be a long-term factor as in, okay, now the book is out on the giants. We already knew take away Barkley at all costs, keep all eyes on 26. Now you say, don't let Daniel Jones beat you with his legs or don't let him even get an opportunity to make throws on the run with his legs. And now what do you do as an adjustment? Because to me, you can sit here all day and point and say, throw your hands up and say, with these wide receivers, we have no chance to move the football. I just can't subscribe to that, though, because if you're if, schematically speaking, if a defense is completely selling out and keeping all eyes on 26 and they're also having to do different things schematically to adjust and account for a running back who can run just based on the math and just based on the schematics of football and the X's and O's and how the pieces align, that should open up different areas of the field, different levels of the field in the intermediate and the deep passing game. Now, how do you get that going? That's on Kafka. That's on Dable. That's on Jones. And that's on the offensive line and all those factors. But to me, it can't just be these receivers. These are still NFL receivers. They're still getting paid to do a job. It's not me and you out there running routes. It's starting. It's guys who are made the pros. They're better than all these other guys who played in college. They made the pros. And like Darius Slayton did not look bad out there today. And I know that's basically all they're getting right now. We'll talk about on film what happened with Wondell Robinson and why he was a non-factor in this game. We'll talk about Marcus Johnson. And we'll talk about all those players. And I'll be interested in taking a look, Nick, to see what happened. Because, again, when a defense does that much to take away a player like Saquon Barkley in the run game, and to take away a quarterback's run option, it just simply should open something up in the offense, in the passing game. And, it, and in this game, it, I mean, there were a couple nice third and longs. But other than that, it really didn't open up much. And even the third and longs, it just seemed like a lot of them were well-timed, deep right. curl type stuff. And it's not like Kafka didn't dial up plays that, seemingly should have been successful. Jones missed that Lawrence Cager play. I love the fact that they dialed up a Great wheel ball. fade type of route to a tight end who was just promoted to the active roster. Use every single one of your assets. And Cager is probably the most athletic, from what I can tell, tight end that the New York Giants have right now without Daniel Bellinger out there. So I loved that play call, but Jones just missed it. It also looked like there was some sort of a pressure coming from the left side. Jones took a really big hit. Yeah, but it wasn't like... Yeah, I think Azudu got beat on that one. We'll see it on the film. But we'll um it's not like Kafka's just lost his ability to coach. It was just a rough game. Not a lot, not a lot of things went the Giants' way on yeah. offense. It was just a lot of uh mistakes. And then the special teams again were absolutely horrendous. And not just the Richie James fumbles, which we'll get into here in a little bit, but also penalties. Like the Jason Pinnock penalty, to me, it didn't really look like a penalty. Like it was yeah. kind of ticky tacky, but still you, you take a penalty there. You also had, I think one against Carter Coughlin a little bit later in the game. I saw some yellow laundry thrown on the field. So you just got to be a little bit more disciplined than that. But when you're on the road, you're, you're not going to be as disciplined because the environment is very hostile. Everything is loud. The communication is not necessarily as refined. It's not there. So it just uh, ended up catching up to the giants in this one. Let me ask you a question about the schematic side of this from just an offensive football standpoint. When you have a defense that's doing everything that the Seahawks did in this game to try to take away those two things we talk about, you know, some of the boot action, some of the misdirection, some of the quarterback run ability, some of the running backs ability to make an impact. What is supposed to open up just from a like, let's say not the giant situation, just a general peel it back to just any NFL team or any football team at any level. What if the defense is doing that much to take away that what is theoretically is supposed to, you know, what are you supposed to have an opportunity to do more of, I guess would be my question for you. I mean, I don't have to see exactly yeah, what the defense the is doing, mm -hmm. but usually when you scheme to take one thing away, it's going to 
open up something else. And this is, you know, why it's a give and take. It's a chess match of football. So if you're keeping those end men on the line of scrimmage, if you're flying them where Daniel Jones is every single time, then you can hand the football off because he's not going to be in there at the same time. I'm not hundred percent certain if they did that every time, or they just really timed it up well with every time Daniel Jones did do a play action rollout, they had that guy really disciplined on him. So we'll have to wait and see exactly what happened in those types of situations. We knew that play action rollout and the bootleg game was such a big part of this offense. And now Mm -hmm. we finally met a defense who actually played it really well. And the giants, they just don't really have a, a potent drop back passing attack yet. Everything is based off of the run. So you take away the run. It's kind of like cutting the head off of a chicken right there. You're just kind of running around. You don't really know exactly how to adjust from there. And I think that's a big hurdle that the giants have to jump here in the bye week. Yeah, it is a big hurdle. They're going to have to figure out how to generate some kind of offense when those things get taken away, because this is probably not going to be the last game plan they face that's going to take away Daniel Jones rushing. Because I think at this point, we've see, we've seen teams are fed up with losing that way, and they want to challenge the Giants to beat them in another way. And, then, and to me, that other way isn't going to be letting Saquon Barkley run the ball, because in the second half, they tried to run the ball early and often, the Giants. A lot of second down runs, which I'm not a huge fan of. With this offense, I kind of just throw my hands back and say, okay, I get it. Look, it's fine. Saquon Barkley's your best player. But when it's generating one or two like it was and setting up for this consistent slew of third and longs, and they, man, were in a consistent slew of third and longs in this game. They did not move the ball well on first and second down. They didn't get a lot of first downs on first down. They didn't get a lot of first and uh, second and shorts. And they didn't get a lot of third and shorts from second and shorts or even first downs on those second down plays, new sets of downs. So, they're going to have to go back and look at everything because the, the the idea of running the ball wasn't working as well in this game. The Seahawks did a great job of that. And that's the surprise, most surprising part to me, Nick, because again, they came into this game and I know they've been better lately, but they came into this game allowing 4.9 yards per carry. The Seahawks second worst in the NFL by the Giants. No, exactly. And I also think, man, those false start penalties, they came yeah. at really bad times on the second offensive drive. It was a third and four, I think, and a false start that backs them up. And then the Giants are forced to punt on the fourth offensive drive. There was the Giants picked up a first down and then Tyree Phillips does a false start and that leads to a first and 15. And then the Giants can't really do much in that hostile environment from there. I mean, Daniel Jones is another thing that we should probably praise him for over the last couple weeks. How many times, Dan, did the New York Giants find themselves in third and 12, third and 14, third and nine? And Daniel Jones was able to pull a rabbit out of a hat and, and convert. That's not necessarily sustainable. That doesn't happen all that often. Like the Giants, like their third down conversion rate is, I believe, a lot higher than it was last year. But if, I would like to see their third and long conversion rate because it has to be pretty damn good because the Giants have been pretty effective. But yeah. how sustainable is that? That's not something that's probably going to carry over every single week. And I think that's another thing that we saw here. Yeah, that's fair. Even though they did even find a way to convert a lot of these, a few of these third and longs um, with, you know, and we can get into some of the, I, I say we get into some of the good. We can, there's actually a lot of good on the defense side of the ball that we can talk about. Yeah. I mean, look, they came into this game getting gashed in the run game by the Jaguars. And we kind of knew, and I think you made a very astute point during the week, Nick, schematically speaking, when you watch this most film, you can kind of pick up on things like that. And so I ran with it once you talked about it because it made a lot of sense. And it's that this was a different style of rushing attack by the Seahawks with a lot of outside zone. And it worked to the Giants' favor until the end when they were gassed. And I think it was right after the Richie James fumble. They didn't really let Kenneth Walker, Ken Walker, do anything in the run game. They did a really good job. And they were really stout in that run game. They weren't giving up 
any ground. And I think it proved the point that we discussed during the week. This Giants run defense wasn't getting mauled over by the Jaguars or anything like that. They weren't getting mauled over by the Cowboys even in week three. They were just losing to pin-pull concepts and power gap, which just kills them because it puts the stress on the linebackers. In this game, less stress on the linebackers. And even Tay Crowder had a couple plays that stood out that were good as well, by the way, um, in the run game. And so praise the run defense. The run defense played phenomenal until they were gassed at the end. And I'm not going to blame them for giving up something at the end after that Richie James fumble. It's just such a deflating fumble for you as a football team when that happens, especially a second time in one game. It's just insanely deflating. So forget that. Pass rush as well, man. The Giants' pass rush came alive. The Giants did not put any pressure on Trevor Lawrence. And now, and here's just the weird things about football, right, Nick? Like, matchup-wise, this last game should have been the game they put pressure on. That Jaguars pass blocking shouldn't have been as good as this Bollywood, you know, Charles Cross, Abe Lucas group that had a lot of good players. And they did lose their center in the in the, in the first quarter. He came back, though. Austin played. He came back, right. So he yeah. came back and played through it. But the Giants finally got some pressure. They had 10 quarterback hits in this game, which is they haven't been the double-digit quarterback hits in a few games now. Five of those were Leonard Williams, who I thought – at least on the broadcast angle, Nick played his best game so far of the season. Um, and so those are the two things that stood out on the positive side, at least defensively. And that was, again, great run defense, great job keying to stop Kenneth Walker or Ken Walker. I think he wants to be called um, from at least an interview he did that I saw. Um, and then finally some pressure, finally a little bit of a pass rush and keys and at key times as well. I also like how Martindale dialed the blitz up in the beginning of the game. You started yeah. seeing him dial up the blitz and, it's one reason, man, why I'm I'm so upset about the the two Richie James fumbles, man. Like the Giants have been benefiting this season from being wildly opportunistic on defense and forcing turnovers. Like we always say, what is the mo of this team? Force other teams into mistakes, or when those other teams make mistakes, capitalize on those mistakes, and then don't make mistakes yourself. But the Giants, they made mistakes themselves, right? Because that first Richie James fumble, that came after a Dory Jackson strips Tyler Lockett at like the two-yard line, and the Giants basically get an easy Saquon Barkley touchdown. The next Seahawk drive, Dan, two sacks in three plays for the three New York out, Giants. Yep. Leonard, yeah, no, it wasn't a three and out, but I mean, it might as well have been, right? Because two right. sacks in three plays, Leonard Williams spins off of Austin Blythe, gets the sack there, and then... What does Wink Martindale love to do? Attack the B-gap. He has Dane Belton occupy the guard. Kayvon Thibodeau, you go high side. B-gap wide open. Travis Homer doesn't pick it up. Xavier McKinney, sack right there. Punt the football back. All the momentum right there. I think it's a tied right. game, 7-7, is on the New York Giants side. Richie James fumbles. And it's like, oh, it's so deflating. Later in the game, and I'm not trying to kick Richie James while he's down. I know he suffered a concussion. I hope he's okay and everything like that. Later in the game, one possession game, 20 to 13. Your defense comes up with a stop. And I know the Giants offense sucked up to that point, but how many times have we seen the Giants offense suck and then they right. just kind of turn it on and they figure it out? Well, down one score with about six minutes left or something like that. It was around that time of the fourth quarter. Kick to Richie James, fumble the football. Like those are two monumental plays in this game. And I'm not saying the Giants deserve to win because they didn't. They played like crap. Seattle outplayed them. But those two plays in the previous weeks of the season, they went the New York Giants right. way. Or Richie James just didn't fumble the football. That's what I mean Why you have to play almost perfect football. You can't make those types of mistakes and expect to win in the fourth quarter, especially when your offense isn't doing anything. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's general football right now. If you're an offense that doesn't really throw for more than 200 a game, and the Giants have only thrown for 201 games, so they're obviously an offense that doesn't throw for more than 200 a game, you have a smaller margin for error. That's just the NFL these days. You're not going to be breaking off consistent 40, 50-yard rushing touchdowns every game. If you want consistency as far as scoring goes, it comes in the passing game. So when you don't have that kind of passing game, and the Giants haven't had that all season, they need to be 
exactly what they were the last four weeks. Daniel Jones in full command of the offense, like he was against the Jaguars, like once against the Bears, and just dealing, like a, like I said, like a pitcher in full command. And I felt like Daniel Jones had pretty good command in this game. He missed the throw to Cager, which had some pressure from Mizzou, but he still should hit that throw. There were a couple other throws I'm sure he would want back, but overall he made some good throws as well. And in general, it didn't really feel to me like he was panicky or anything like that. I thought he did a good job in the pocket. So nothing really regressive there. But like you said, the margin for error is so small. Like you can't have two fumbles that you lose, right? And you can't have a cager play that that goes over his head. And you know, other examples that we can remember and look back at once we look at the film and we'll see, because I am very interested to see some of these dropbacks. Because again, Nick, I felt like, the difference here was the Giants offensive line, to me, pass protection was not an issue in this game. I didn't feel like the Seahawks were getting there early. There weren't a lot of plays that were just blown up by, by pressure, which we used to see in the bad years of the Giants. We didn't have any of that. Like In some of these past years where the Giants didn't create any offense, it was like plays were blown up within a half a second in the backfield. That just doesn't seem to be – that did not seem to be the case at all today. There was a one play where they gave Daniel Jones almost felt like an hour back there and he comes back and he's looking through his progressions and nothing's open. And there's just nowhere to go with it. And it's just like, I hadn't seen that kind of play in a long time with the giants where he's like the full field read and there's just like nothing open or whatever. There wasn't open anything open at that time, or we don't know because we didn't see all 22. But the fact of the matter is when it comes to this, this offense right now, you have to consider it, a, like you said, a small margin of error offense as it is right now. And if that's the case, then, you, like you said, you can't have those mistakes. But one other thing I want to talk about. Yeah, like the, Giant, the Giants offense, they don't create a lot of explosive plays. Right. Like right now, they rank dead last in the league in explosive plays. And I think a lot of their explosive plays, the vast majority of their Almost explosive all plays, yeah. they're all run. <laughs> so Saquon Barkley's not ripping off 60, 40, 30, 20-yard runs. Your offense is stagnant, and that's just the reality of the New York Giants right now. Yeah, Daniel Jones can make big-time throws when he is asked to, and he does that, but this passing offense doesn't consistently do that. Everything runs through the rushing attack, and like I said a little bit earlier, once that rushing attack is stifled, once it's shut down, if you take away Daniel Jones's ability to extend plays with his legs, design quarterback runs, and the play-action bootleg— the Giants don't have an answer for it. So that's why, like I said before, man, they got to go into the bye and they have to figure out some things about that passing attack because that's the issue. Last week, it was the run fits. This week, it seems like it's the traditional passing attack. Yeah, and if you looked at it before this week, Nick, I, I saw the passing chart for Daniel Jones before this week in the Giants. We can just call it the Giants pass game. It's a wild thing to see because there's just a slew of dots in that one to 20 yard range and just three total dots going into this week past 20 yards. There's been three passes completed past 20 yards going into this week. Uh, that trial of 20 in the air it was the Shepard one. It was the Slayton touchdown. There's one other that uh, I think David not, Sills. Yeah, I think there might have been a David Sills at one point. Yeah. So. Like you said, I mean, they're not really challenging the defense vertically. You can you can come up with any reasons you want. I know a lot of the fan base is just fully in on it's only the receivers is the issue. I don't know if I sub I actually I know I don't subscribe to that, just to be honest. Like I just don't. Like I wish I could, but these guys are NFL like they're I don't know, man. You it's like they got to figure something out. They have to figure out a way to get the ball downfield. If you have a defense that's committing that many resources to stopping the running back and to stopping the quarterback from running, that has to open. They don't have 14 guys on the field. They only get 11 guys on defense too. And so if all those guys are focused on one, two things, and both of those two things are right around the line of scrimmage, as it is with any run play with a quarterback or running back, that should open up something down the field. Now you got to figure out how to get that going. Um, but that's going to be on Kafka. That's going to be on Jones. It's going to be on Dable. Those three are going to have to get together and figure out something there in the bye week because it did feel like a very sobering moment today, Nick, with, you know, going against a defense that, 
yeah, maybe they're playing better football. The Seahawks, this ain't a great defense. This is not a top 10 defense. It's not a top 15 defense. This is probably like at best top 20, the Seahawks. And so it's not generating anything. It was definitely a sobering moment for us. Um, I did think one positive to look, reflect on on offense was Darius Slayton, his play. You know, I said this during the game, all the people, and there are a lot of fans who are super harsh and negative to Darius Slayton online. I just wish those people would be the exact opposite when he makes a catch like he made on that first third and long. That was, you know, whatever ball, like, yeah, yeah. it's a whatever ball. It's fine. He put it in a spot where his receiver can make a play, but that ain't like an easy catch at all. That was on the receiver. The play was made based on the receiver. So if you're going to hyper-focus on the drops, then you should hyper-focus on those kinds of plays as well, because I've always made the case drops are the most overrated thing by far by fans. It's one negative play. Why don't we focus on how many how many positive plays a player can make? Like, if you don't drop a pass, but you don't get open, I don't give a crap. Like, you're not doing anything to help the team. If you drop one pass, but you get open five times and you make five catches for 66 yards like Slayton had in a game where they couldn't get anything going on offense, well, then you're doing a lot better even if you had a drop. And he didn't even have any kind of egregious drops or anything in this game, uh, not at least based on memory. So, you know, I, I want to give him credit for playing one of the best games of any Giant today. This was a bad game for the offense. There are basically just two players who played really well. I thought he he was one of them. Yeah, he was one of them and definitely give kudos to him. And I've definitely bashed him in the past and I'll continue to bash him in the past when he yeah, does. When he drops, sure. things. Yeah, it's not even bad. You uh, critique him. That's I'm talking. Yeah, about yeah, yeah I think. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on with that. And he like we said several times, man. He's the most lively receiver we have other than Wondell Robinson, who maybe he was schemed out of the game. I'm not really certain. I know on that one whip route in the beginning of the game, it was a play that we've seen. It was a third down play, I believe, where Wondell Robinson goes like he's running the out, whips back inside. He's really, really smooth in and out of those types of breaks. Seattle covered it really damn well. So I'm curious to see on the all 22 exactly how that happened. But man, like in the second half, the Giants were at least driving the football a little yeah. bit, right? They, I think yep. they had on their seventh and their eighth drive, they both ended in field goals, but they were at least getting the football downfield. And, and they the held the ball a lot on those drives too. They ground those drives out. Like they burned yeah, a ton yeah. of clock. I absolutely love to see that. And Chris Myrick on the one play, it was like a third and long. Chris Myrick catches it, runs through a tackler. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. And Chris Myrick kind of reminds me a little bit of like a Daniel Bellinger type. Yeah. Just a tough dude who can block. You know, I, I'm glad that the Giants have somebody like that, but that's also like the state of the roster right now, right? Like we're sitting there looking at Chris Myrick and like, yeah, man, I'm really glad that we have a guy like that on the roster. Like there are holes still here on this New York Giants roster. And I think tight end is one of them. If Daniel Bellinger can't come back after the bye, like which seems unlikely, at least directly after the bye, I have no inside information, but man, it was, uh, it was still ugly though, offensively. And they, that's another product of this Dan right you you don't punch it in the end zone after those long drives and you settle for three it's something that the New York Giant fans know very well because it's been the last two years of this franchise under Jason Garrett and Joe Judd you don't punch it in the end zone the offense ends up looking like this we end up talking like this after the game instead of this last couple of weeks man what do they do they were pretty efficient in the red zone and they found right. ways to get into scoring position and actually capitalize but they didn't really this time they just settled for a bunch of field goal attempts and I want to ask you a little bit about the Giants offensive line in this game as a run blocking unit. And when I say the offensive line, Nick, and when I ask you this next question, I want you to consider just the entire unit, the entire group that goes into blocking. So that includes the tight ends, because I did think there was a major drop off going from Bellinger to on some of these play Hudson as the second tight end to help yeah. you block. And why I want to ask you about this, because, again, like I said, 
I felt like the pass protection wasn't an issue for the Giants really at all, almost in this game, with the exception of that play by Azudu and maybe one or two others. But the run blocking in this game was totally different because I have in my notes, like there was a nice pin pull they got going for a nine yard gain early. That was one of their big plays. Another one of their big run plays was just Saquon Barkley doing Saquon Barkley things and cutting in and out and weaving in and out. And it was not good blocking. And then a lot of these run plays outside of those two big, decent, I don't want to say big gainers because they were nine and, and like eight, but solid gainers were just nothing. They were one yard, they were two yards, they were three yards, they were stopped on the line of scrimmage. And so what what do you think? I mean, this is a stupid question probably to ask you before you see the tape. But I mean, why? how does it happen like this where the Giants offense goes from like creating so much in the run game? We gave them such a high run blocking game against the Jaguars to just different matchup, I guess you can say, but like they just could not create anything. It was, I thought it was one of the biggest reasons the offense couldn't move the ball because they just couldn't get anything going really in the run game for the most part. No, they couldn't. Saquon, to his credit, he was trying to do everything in his power. And I, I would really have to look at the tape to see exactly yeah, what they were doing yeah. with their linebackers and their fronts and all that kind of stuff. I know a couple plays kind of jump out to me, though, that like put the Giants in a really crappy positions on one of those second half drives we were talking about. Giants were driving down the field. I think it was right after the Chris Myrick play. And the Giants go to hand the football off to Saquon Barkley. And for some reason, Bruce Irvin is right in Daniel Jones's face at the handoff spot and Saquon yeah. Barkley kind of like falls awkwardly. And that's like a loss of eight or something yeah, like ridiculous him. on that play. And that's what led to the field goal. Like little negative plays like that. I just felt like the giants took a lot of negative plays in situations where you can't take negative plays. That's and fair. that's going, and that's just not something we've seen really so far this season. So that's a great, it's, point. Uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. It wasn't just that it was the two false starts. You mentioned that's negative five. They, that puts them in a tough spot. And they also had a delay of game. That's another negative five. And so you keep pushing yourself behind the sticks and you have to fight back from that. And that's kudos to the Seahawks crowd. I mean, that was a lively as hell crowd. You could see it. Jones was trying to communicate stuff, that offensive line. It was late in plays. Play clock was winding down. They were getting good jumps. I thought there was one play. The Seahawks went off sides on a key play that they didn't call down and toward the end of the game. Uh, I think they ended up settling for three. But, you know, that was a big factor too. Just playing behind the sticks all game. It felt like, it felt like just third and long second and longs constantly throughout this game. And it's hard to win football games like that, especially when you're not, it's okay to win football. It's possible to win football games like that when you're also generating some actual explosive plays, but when you're not generating any explosive plays on any of those earlier downs and you're just continuously setting up for third and longs over and over, it's hard to string together offense. And we saw that obviously today. I mean, look, the Giants scored 13 points against a defense that you shouldn't really be scoring 13 points against. you got to get more against this kind of defense. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting and think, you're drinking? It's a Tuesday afternoon. I get it. We're stuck in this meeting room. But you can't be drinking beer at work. Oh, it's most likely not beer. It's a new Mountain Spring water brand called Liquid Death. One may wonder or even ask, why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst. And their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. So, like a famous television character whose show shares the name of a star defensive lineman on the Giants with the last name Lawrence, this drink is killing to save. How altruistic. It tastes good. It's refreshing. Everyone should go and try it. It kind of looks like an energy drink, but it is just water. So please go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. So that's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Yeah, you should get more against this kind of defense, especially when you're a 6-1 and one team entering the right. game. But Seattle played well. Seattle is a well-coached team as well. And Geno Smith, again, like... I have a lot of praise for that guy. I don't even know what DK Metcalf is is doing with his life, how how he's able to go out there and play after suffering some sort of a teller injury. And then with Tyler Lockett, man, Tyler Lockett was going to be the GOAT, not the good one in this game. Yeah. And then he that double move that he put on a Dory Jackson was phenomenal. Dory yeah. Jackson just tried to squat on it, man. He, he saw him turn. He was like, I'm going to play right through this catch point. And it was a really, really good move by Lockett. He just blew past him. He still That's looks quick. His move since college, by the way. Like when I watched the film on college, I loved him. <laughs> thought he was such a steal. That was the move he was grossing cornerbacks on over and over again in college. But yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. He, he, um, made up for all the mistakes that he makes. He also had the drop touchdown where Gino did an amazing job looking the safety off. Like Gino Smith, like again, like I'm not trying to make this into a Gino Smith podcast, but he held that safety so long and then just turned and put a dime out there. And if you watch that play, you can see a Dory Jackson's beat by only about a step. I'm not really sure what exactly happened or why he was beat. We'll have to look at the tape to see. Maybe it was a double move, but Xavier McKinney can't get over there because he has to respect Gino Smith's eyes. Like that's just a big man throw from Gino. And his offensive line did not block that well this game. Like I said, the Giants had 10 quarterback hits, five or five from Leonard Williams, some sacks. Like you can't even say, like, I know everybody now, now the it used to always be blame the offensive line for everything. Now it's blame the receivers for everything. But um the reality is there's always a gray area and there's something in between. And I think in this game, he had a major advantage at receiver Geno Smith, but he did not have an advantage on the offensive line. Not that the Giants offensive line was amazing with those injuries, but they actually played pretty well in pass pro despite the injuries. Um, and that wasn't exactly the case for Seattle. I think a lot of it was what you said. Geno just had a really good game. It's not to knock Jones again. Like 
it's different offense right now. Seahawks, Seahawks, the Seahawks have been doing things in the vertical passing game all year long, right? They've been practicing it. They've repped it in games. They've connected on it in games. The Giants haven't really repped this or connected on anything in the passing game really all season. So we couldn't expect them out of nowhere to figure it out. But now with a bye week, Nick, I am expecting something different coming out because, again, when you're when you're facing a defense that's going to week after week commit all its resources to the line of scrimmage and stopping everything that happens at the line of scrimmage, something has to happen downfield. You just have to figure out a way to make something happen, uh, in my mind at least, and we'll see what happens with that. I got to say too, man, watching Shane Waldron call his offense, there were elements yep. of it that made me think of Mike Kafka in the sense that like he did an excellent job getting Geno Smith on the move and using play action rollout to his advantage to open up crossing routes in the middle of the field. And whenever the linebackers would sink, he would just dump it off to some tight end because he was doing it out of like 12 and 13 personnel, whether it be Disley or or Colby Parkinson or Noah Fant or whoever the hell they have out there. Like the, the offense, it reminded me, there were parts of it that reminded me of, of what Kafka has done here in New York so far. What would you say for as far as the question goes of how do the Giants spark this passing game? What are some of the ways they can do it, given the fact that in our minds, they're probably not going to. And well, I actually want to get into this question as well, so I'll, I'll table that. But in our minds, they're probably not making a move for receiver. This is probably what they have the rest of the year. Um, so given their receiver situation, the backup left guard, the backup right tackle, what would be some ways to get? I mean, because look. They finally got something going in the vertical passing game two weeks ago into the Packers. That was really interesting to see. They were hitting those deep crossers, which were a staple of Dable's offense in Buffalo. And those deep crossers are, in my mind, again, the best ball Daniel Jones throws are those deep ends where he drives that ball. Like the ball he threw to Slayton against the Packers, the first one, where he comes off the play action, rolls to his right, stops, and rips the ball. That was as perfect as a ball as you can throw. It had velocity, and it was perfectly placed to the outside hand of Slayton so he could catch it and run for an extra four or five. That felt like it was just game plan specific against how the Joe Barry uh, Packers defense played them and, and you know, just schematically how they were lining up the backers. But is that something that you feel is just game plan specific or how can the Giants really figure out a way to generate a passing game that moves the ball and stretches it vertically a bit um, when defenses are going to take away the two things that have been working again, Barkley and the Jones run game? I think you can try to commit to the pass a little bit more. Like if the RPO, the zone read, all that stuff's not working. Because I don't think it's a bad idea. It's not a bad idea to to try to base everything off of your rushing attack. It's just you need to adjust once that's not there. And I'm not saying that Kafka didn't adjust. He might have had a bunch of adjustments up his sleeve. And then Richie James fumbled a freaking football. Right. I mean, that, would, that wouldn't be crazy to anybody, right? He's done it how many times this season? But you just got to commit to the pass a little bit more in those situations. And then ease them off a little bit and have them respect the pass. Just do simple concepts, man. There are tons of concepts that we've seen all throughout this this game and throughout the season. I mean, they ran mesh out on the first drive. That's one of their favorite concepts. It's good against man. It's good against zone. It gets the football out of Daniel Jones' hands quickly, allows him to just make a couple reads and fire the football. Right. So I would just say you'd have to do that because how many times in this game did you see Daniel Jones hand the football off, hand the football off? And then, you know, you have the situation before halftime too which you have two timeouts about a minute and 40 left and you go uber conservative in that situation it's not, it's not the, first the first time, time we've seen them do that this year no either. it's not it's basically every time they've done that except for the one against jacksonville where they started to open it up and carolina still, carolina too but that was when they almost had the interception um yep. so that was, they didn't want to run that again but against jacksonville they hit the sills 19 yarder they hit a couple things going in the vertical game but 
you know, it just felt like they weren't confident in doing it today for whatever reason. I don't know why, because it is weird week to week. Is it all just that they have a backup left guard and right tackle? That feels like odd to me if it if it, that would be the only reason why they couldn't feel as confident as they did in Jacksonville. Um, I, I, I don't I know. I think they call that first play and then they see what yeah, exactly what happens goes. and then they kind of feel it out from there. I think they take mm-hmm. it play by play because you don't want to, you know, burn a timeout, get uber aggressive or throw an incomplete pass. And then you're in second and 10, throw another incomplete pass. And you're like, Oh crap. And third and 10, you punt the football back and then they, they get might the score one ten yeah. left. They can score. That yeah. makes sense too. But at the same time, it does seem like they're pretty conservative in a lot of these situations so far throughout the season, which I feel like begging the question for it is, is, um, it's reasonable to ask. Yeah. It's something they'll have to look at too, because they got to ultimately find some confidence in that because you want to maximize all your scoring potential, potential scoring situations as a team. If you want to be some kind of like super Bowl contender or anything of that nature, or even just kind of make noise in the playoffs and, and win a few games there because they're going to have two minute drills that matter in the playoffs, obviously. And in, and in the rest of the season as well, we'll have to see, but I do want to ask you that question because we've been getting it a lot. Um, or I've been getting it a lot, Nick. Okay. So, after this game, a lot of people flooded my DMs and my replies like, this should be it, man. If you're Joe Shane and you don't make a trade for a receiver, you're a horrible GM. You're screwing over the Giants. You're doing a poor job. They have to make a move for wide receiver after watching this game. And I would know if that original, if that assertion like in its nature is correct. I won't know until I watch the film to see like, oh my God. Like if it's like, oh my God, these receivers look bad on tape, right? Then it's like, that assertion could be true. But even if that assertion isn't true in my mind, Nick, I do not think that he's a bad GM or he's doing a poor job if he doesn't make a trade for a wide receiver. And I think a lot of the the a lot of what no one seems to be factoring in with this potential idea of trading for a wide receiver is that wide receiver still needs to get up to speed with this offense. What do we know about this offense? We know it's a difficult offense to pick up. We know it has choice routes. We know that any receiver coming over has no rapport with the current quarterback has to fully build a rapport has to get on the same page with checks has to, and there's going to take so much time that I feel like ultimately if you're paying a premium, some people want the giants to right now send a second round pick, dude. I've seen people like you got to send, I don't care what it takes, send a second round pick, a second round pick. What for what, for a rental or for like, even if it's not for a rental type player, I mean, if the whole objective is, you have to make this trade to improve the team now because they're six and two and you have a window. Well, then why are you not factoring in how long it's going to take these guys to pick up the offense and how long and out it might, they may not ever get on the same page with this offense in year one, at least, right? Maybe it's more of a long-term thing year two full off season. They can get on the same page with Jones and whatever. But I mean, I just feel like that's not being factored in enough at all, that this is not some magical fix. It's not like you trade for Jerry Judy day one, uh, tomorrow and next Sunday or after it's the like bye, he's 157 on yards. What'd you say? It's like Madden and he's on your yeah, roster. And right? it doesn't he's not just on the roster. It's like a 94 yeah. now that he's going to get yeah. you have an 157 yard day. No, he has to learn the offense. He has to get on the same page with the quarterback. He has to build a rapport with the quarterback. And that's all. those are all things that take time. Yeah, it definitely takes time. And Joe Shane's process, I feel like he's not going to deviate from it. But what I'll say is this. There are a lot of reports from a lot of reputable people saying the Giants have been poking around the trade market. So I think that the trade is something that has entered his process, mm-hmm. if all those reports are true. I don't think he's going to neglect his duties and just kind of be like, oh, we're 6-2. and two. I just need to trade for somebody. I think he's going to have a certain price cap that he's willing to allocate. And I don't know if a 2 is going to be it. Could be a 3. 
maybe. I mean, you got a comp pick three just from the Chiefs. Maybe you do try to wheel and deal that. But who are some of the wide receivers that we're looking to get? Right. DJ Moore, he's not going anywhere. DJ Moore is going to stay there. Jerry Judy, after today, I doubt he's going anywhere. He was like the focal point of the Denver Broncos offense. And then you have who? Brandon Cooks in that contract. Are the Texans going to eat that contract? It's still yeah. a lot of money. I don't even know from a contractual standpoint how that would work with the Giants' current cap situation. So who exactly are we looking to acquire? Because I like the idea of getting Jerry Judy. He has a relationship with Brian Dable. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that Brian Dable knows if he's a smart kid. But I don't want to go and spend a two on that, Dan. Like I, I'm not, I'm not yeah. for that right now. That's not something I, I necessarily want to support. So... We'll wait and see. We have two days, but I'm, I'm, I kind of still remain the same. I don't really think it's going to happen. I've been surprised before. I'll say that much, I guess. Yeah, I've been surprised before, too, and I don't think it's going to happen, but you never know. But I will say this. I just feel like it's not a necessary thing. That's kind of where I was getting at, Nick. Like I just don't feel like it's ultimately something that he has to do, Joe Shane. He does not. He no, goes he through this trade deadline, and he does not trade for a wide receiver. That may not be the worst thing at all. Honestly, it may be a good thing. If he's only getting fleeced from a value standpoint within this trade, I'd rather him not do it. I'm more focused on this team's long-term future than this season. That's just the honest truth of it. That's how you have to be when you're in this. The NFL teams don't look at this as a one-year thing unless their quarterback says, I'm retiring next year, like an Aaron Rodgers situation or whatever. This is not. Otherwise, it churns. It's it's an ongoing process. You have to factor in all of these assets. I mean, again, it's why, and, and from the familiarity standpoint, and look, there's no reason to cry over spilled milk. It's probably the kid's fault, but hate to say it, but it's probably the kid's fault. But it's just why I was so sad, you know, saddened by the news of t- when the Tony trade broke. I wasn't happy. I know a lot of people were celebrating, like, oh my God, we got a three and a six for this guy. Again, it's basically a four, but we got a three and a six for this guy. It's like, why would you celebrate that news? This guy was in the system, right? Like, this was only year two for him. He should have been able to be a big, big asset the second half. And ultimately, anyone they trade for, Nick, in my mind, I'll say this right now. Judy, whoever it is, won't have the same kind of impact that a Tony would have had if he was fully on board with this team, just having been yeah. here and having, you know, developed all the rapport. But that's if he was fully on board. Right. And that's the thing. And he's not. Thing. And I really hope this dude doesn't just get fully on board with the Chiefs. That would piss me the hell off if he's just like, because then it's like, what the hell is your problem, dude? Like, what's wrong? You just pissed off. They weren't playing you all the snaps right away. Like, he, he wanted a scholarship. Why does he get a scholarship? Because he's a first round pick. It's not how it works. Like this is a professional team. It's like obviously Dable's not running a team that's just handing out scholarships and playing people. You know, that was the Jerry Reese days, right? He played Eric Flowers over and over and over again. And they went to seasons with Eric Flowers as a starter simply because he drafted him early and wanted to prove that he was right by drafting him. But that's Dable didn't draft. Dable and, and Shane didn't draft Tony. They were never going to just hand him some kind of role. Uh, and obviously they didn't. And he didn't like that, I guess. Um, and that's where we're at now. But yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk about the receiver trademark. And I know a lot of people are talking about that. One nitpick thing I wanted to get your take on, Nick. Gotta be honest with you, and I won't change my mind on this really at all, Nick. I'm never going to support putting your starting players out there with one minute left down 14 points, yeah. 103, especially when you're backed up and they were backed up inside their own, I think, 20 at the time, the Giants. You're inside your own 20. You got an 80 yard field, only a minute and three left down two scores. You have no chance to win that football game. I don't want to say no chance miracles can happen, but you would have to hit like a touchdown right away within four, 20 seconds. And then an onside recovery. And then you need another touchdown with no timeout. So 
I don't want to see them playing these guys out there. I hope somebody brings that up. One of the reporters brings it up to Dable and just so he can at least consider it and get it like churning in his head. And if they bring it up, I hope they say, look, did you see what happened in the Rams game when Sean McVay had his starters out there down 31 to 14? Similar situation. What is that? Two scores, 17. That's two scores. Basically, exact situation a little bit, you know, 17 versus 13, whatever. Still need two touchdowns. And then Cooper Cup gets hurt. What the hell? Apparently, it's not going to be as bad as they originally thought. But you could lose your whole season doing that. So what? Yeah. It, that's something I was not a fan of from Dable. Saquon was the only one that wasn't on the that's field. Good. I think we yeah. should note that. So, yeah. but Wandale was out there, and I was like, "Yo, get Wandale off the field." He wasn't. He didn't use him at all when it mattered. So yeah. maybe, and there were reasons probably for that. Like we, like, like we said, we'll check on the film exactly. But I think one of the coolest storylines of this game, if we're gonna think about this optimistically, and this story is freaking awesome, is Nick Gates. Oh yeah, Nick Gates getting back on the football field and throwing a key block, just washing, dude, just freaking washing Bruce Irving down the line of scrimmage on that touchdown run by Saquon. Yeah, that'll be a fun one to look back on the film, right, Nick? Oh, yeah. Sure, both of us will independently throw that up at some point on Twitter just to keep the momentum going for Gates. He deserves it. I want him to get all the hype, all the accolades possible. I mean, as Saquon Barkley said after the game, he's like, he deserves comeback player. He's like, I don't want, not even say, I don't want, I'm sure they asked him, do you the comeback player? He's like, no, no, give that Nick Gates deserves comeback player. I mean, this dude, I never thought he would, if I got to be honest with you, Nick, I wasn't certain if I had to guess if a gun was to my head last year, I probably would have said he's probably never going to play another meaningful snap in the NFL. It was that kind of injury. And it wasn't like Alex Smith trotting back from that injury and playing quarterback for a half season, like, but not moving the at, at all. This was an offensive lineman trying to do it. Um, and we'll see where it goes with Gates because there could be an opportunity for him to do something on like to take some kind. Look, they're not getting good left guard play right now. Probably I'll have to see the film to know, but I just feel like Azudu right now is going to be a mess and pass pro probably this whole year. Maybe it settles down at some point. He, and again, he had some really good reps against Jacksonville. I don't want to say it's always the thing with Azudu. It's like there's flashes of such high level, but then there's like these really bad moments, too. And as everybody always says with the offensive line, what do they always say, Nick? You're only as strong as your weakest link. And it's like, yeah. when you have those really bad plays. They're worse off than you're just kind of, if you're just like averaging away, like the bills offensive line have just been average above averaging away, slightly above averaging away for like two years now. And they're putting up like 40 points a game with just a slightly above average offensive line because no one's really screwing up too often there. Um, so we'll see with the Zudu, but that could be an opportunity for Gates if they want to try Gates out at guard again, or if they want to move him to center and try Luciano out there. I don't know, but it's a great story. And I think there's at least a potential chance for him to play more on this offensive line. I'm very excited to see what the Giants do from an offensive line standpoint out of the bye, because they're going to work on it. Now that you have some healthy pieces, they're going to do their best, their damnedest to find their best five to get out there. It doesn't appear like Ben Bredesen and Evan Neal will be in that uh, equation. But there's just something about Josh Azudu, man. And I'm a little torn right now because the Giants, they're, they're a playoff team. It's freaking awesome. But when you watch Josh Azudu, you see the upside, like you said. You see those flash plays, and you're like, dude, if this kid can get a little bit more sand in his ass, right? A little bit more of an anchor, a little bit more of that. And he fixes the mental errors, which I think will come because everything I've heard about him is he's a very bright kid. You have a above average starting guard right off the bat with upside to be even more like Josh Azudu, his movement skills and his hands, like he has vice scripts for hands, but whenever he gets his hands inside of you, you're done. And this is a rookie we're talking about, not to mention how fluid he is as a mover and the knee bend that he plays with. I, I really think there's a lot of upside there. Maybe after a week, you know, he can take a step back during the bye week, really take to the coaching, get prepared for Houston and then come out and just 
he's the starter from there on out. If that happens, I'd be ecstatic, especially if we kind of avoid these mental errors that he's had, specifically in Jacksonville. We'll have to wait to see on tape how many he had in this game. It appeared like he had a couple of them. Yeah, I just remember the first one with the cager play, but I'll have to look back on it. There might be some others. There were just a couple others where I just remember him like doing the thing where he's looking around right before the ball snapped, which is never just you don't want an offensive line with his head turned that way and then the ball snapped and you're like, All right, well that can't be a good thing, right? If an offensive lineman has his head turned and then the ball's being snapped, that there's no possible way for that to be good. Um, and so like to me right now, it's more the mental errors, though the anchor is obviously the, the physical issue that's going on right now, the technique issue that's going on right now. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I don't think it's impossible to to assume that not to assume to think that there's a chance Nick Gates competes to potentially play there. If he's going to have fewer mental errors, right, if he's going to look better in practice, if they give him opportunities there, I don't know. But it's something to keep an eye on now with Nate, with Gates proving that he can get back on a football field. That was step one, right? Be in a game, suit up, put your pads on, go out there for a snap and see what happens when you try to execute a play. And he did execute a play, like you said, and he had a really good block on Bruce Irvin that helps bring that touchdown. And that wasn't his only snap, by the way, but that was a really important one because it was his first one. And he proved, look, I'm back on the field. I have recovered from this injury. I can do this thing. And he'll probably only get stronger, by the way, as it goes and just better as it goes. So I'm very intrigued to see if Gates can kind of work his way in some at some point to the starting lineup. Same here. Same here. And we should also talk about other players, younger players, since we're talking about Azudu, who came up with some big plays, right? Micah yeah. McFadden. Micah McFadden gets his first career Boy. NFL sack, and I absolutely love that. And guess who that came against? It Charles was Cross. Charles Cross, yeah. It was. And I'm not going to lie, man. Just from what I've seen, we'll see on the All-22, Charles Cross looked pretty damn good out there. But Micah McFadden beat him around the edge there and ended up collapsing on um, on Geno Smith. There. I'm trying to watch the play as right now. And it seems like Jihad Ward, who was originally like a wide nine, that him being in position there kind of just forced Charles Cross to not kick out to get cut off that angle, mm-hmm. get to the the depth that he needed to to get to Michael McFadden. So alignment might have helped Michael McFadden there. But this is, I feel like the thing that Micah McFadden showed at Indiana was his pass rushing ability. That's the thing that we felt like would yeah. translate so well to Wink Martindale defense. So now that we're entering the second half of the season, we might start seeing that. And we've already seen some jumbling in the linebackers, right? Because Jalen Smith yes. was playing the mic. It wasn't Tate Crowder. Tate Crowder was playing the will. So I'm wondering if, yep. first off, I'm wondering if that was consistent throughout the games. I definitely noticed it the first half and it was brought up by Mark Sanchez, who was low key great at doing this, by the yeah, way, even though really he, underrated. He's very underrated, but the Chuck Knobloch mistake was pretty bad, right? Did you, did yeah. you catch that? I was yeah. like, why is he talking about Chuck Knobloch throwing like a, a knuckleball? But yeah. I digress. But yeah, no, I, I was glad to see Mike McFadden get his first career sack and just earn some meaningful snaps. Yeah, I think you brought up to me the most interesting take that you brought up is that they are deciding after, without a doubt, the worst game on tape by the linebackers against the Jaguars this whole season. It's not even like a remotely close tier one. And then you can drop like two tiers to find linebacker play that was his pad from the giants. And how did he react? Wink Martindale, they went into the film room, they watched it. It was probably a painful process and he made changes. Like you said, there were some snaps. Jalen Smith is a mic. There were some snaps with, with no take Crowder and Michael McFadden on the field. And obviously they, they, they do, they do have their handful of snaps with only one linebacker on the field, but they're still mixing and matching there, and I'm happy Micah McFadden worked his way back into the mix. Maybe all it took was a really bad game from the other two, but to me, I don't see I, I don't see any reason why there has to be any kind of set two with Jalen Smith and Crowder because neither of those guys command it with their play on the field, at least not from a consistency standpoint. 
No, and Jalen Smith was actually a lot worse than Tay Crowder was on film too last week, right? We, I, yeah, I would that's say the weird so. part. Yep. And uh, we still noticed more quarter defenses, no linebackers out there. And honestly, love Jahad Ward. He's he's awesome, but he got a PBU, which is great, right? I think that was a pick six by Dane Belton, though. You know what yeah. play I'm talking about? Yeah, I texted you right after, and you said the same thing. That was could have been a big moment for the Giants, and and I love that you. I love that we saw it at the same time, just because it's something that you and me have looked over. Over this is like a long, steady drumbeat, right? We saw the Iowa tape where he where he plays where he was baiting the quarterback, and we're like, this is that kind of DB. He will be, and I love those types of DBs that like have it in their mind that part of their game is their mental, like the mental side of it, where they're going to bait quarterbacks and potentially make really big plays for the defense, you know. And I saw, you know, who did that? You know, all those Iowa safeties were always there. Was a this Thursday night game with Baltimore and Tampa Bay. There was a really good play with Geno Stone when he baited the receiver and he He's made smart. Brady. He made Brady think he had a quick underneath hitter, and and Stone drove on it and batted the ball down on the key third and like short. And these Iowa line safeties are really taught really well. And so, like you said, we'll watch it back on the film. But if Jahad Ward doesn't get his hand on that pass, I really think Gino missed that one. And I think Belton baited him, and Belton would have jumped that, and he might have had an angle for a pick six for an interception and a touchdown. And that would have really been a momentum changer at that moment of the game. Um, anytime been- you get a pick six, you have a much better chance to win a game in general. So it would have been great. And honestly, Gino didn't um, Gino didn't see him because Dane Belton does such a good job flowing away from his intentions, but keeping his eyes like like a freaking hawk on the quarterback. And then just knowing when the quarterback is going to throw the football, he uses such excellent timing. And we have a mutual friend right now who, if he is listening to the podcast, is probably jumping up and down saying, Bob Sanders, Bob Sanders, <laughs> <laughs> big yeah, yeah, Iowa yeah. Hawkeye fan. Yeah, one of our mutual friends. I don't know if he's listening to the podcast, but it would be cool if he was. Um, a couple other guys I want to note, with if we're, as long as we're giving out flowers, because, again, we can knock them for losing this game. It was a tough game. Neither Nick or I expect them to win this game. And ultimately, I didn't even feel like the Giants got destroyed in this game. I just felt like the offense was a disaster. The defense was, to me, good. Like, yeah, eventually, uh, they got worn out. Great. They're on the field all game. Um, and they're placing, honestly, an offense that's pretty freaking good. Like Geno's And they had right two. And they had two drives where they beat the offense and then the special teams screwed them. Yeah, right. And they had to go right back on the field. You're right. After the Richie James fumbles, which is backbreaking for a defense, especially when you come with a big stop. But, and again, this is against a really good offense, guys. Like Geno Smith, I said this on Twitter. I'm not saying that he's better than Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson right now. That was not the point I was making, Nick, when I said, when I tweeted what I tweeted. But as far as just watching the film, and I'll see when I watch the film, so I can't say it yet for sure. I have to see if he missed guys on film, things of that nature. But as far as just first glance broadcast, this was the best quarterback play that I've seen against the Giants this year, personally. In my film study, watching Geno Smith going up to this game, if you would have told me, oh, this guy is the best quarterback in the league, and I went and watched it, I would have been like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's put the name Geno Smith, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's how good some of these throws are. Now, how long will it last? Is it consistent? All those kind of questions, you can kind of throw them in there and they're all fair. But in terms of some of the throws he's making, if you would have told me that, I would be like, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's crazy. Outside the numbers, they're over the right shoulder. They're dropped in on time. They have eyes eyes are crazy. Some of the stuff he's doing with his eyes to move defenses post-snap is crazy. And so this was a tough quarterback. This was a tough but this is one of the toughest things for the Giants defense all year, matchup wise. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, a quarterback playing, playing great ball. And like you said, a coordinator who's coming into his own, Jane Waldron, and calling good games. And a really star 
talent type running back who the Giants had to account for to stop. And they had to really game plan to stop. They didn't want to lose that way. Um, and so despite all that, the Giants defense had pressure a lot of spots this game, 10 quarterback hits, multiple sacks. They had key stops, like you said. So there's a lot of good things to take away from the defense. So just to circle it back, I want to give the, my flowers also to um, Fabian Moreau, man. Fabian Moreau continues to impress a couple really nice PBUs in this game. I, I don't know where they found this guy. I mean, I know where they found him from. I remember him. Uh, I think he was at a UCLA originally. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. And but never a huge prospect, but but an interesting one. And you know what? It's like getting he, to the point. Yeah, he was ahead. a huge one, but he tore his peck during the draft process and it dropped uh, him to like the third round. I think it was. He's starting to earn himself. He's getting close to me to the point where I'm like, they got to resign this guy because I feel more comfortable going into going into the year or you know going into next season with him on the roster and knowing I don't have to for sure use one of those top first or second round draft picks on a corner because there are so many other needs right now, as we're going to see going into this offseason. We really want to improve this team as fast as we can. So I want to give my flowers to Fabian Moreau, who I thought played a good game. We talked about Leonard Williams. This was, I thought, the best game Williams had all season. I'll be interested to see Thibodeau and the rest of the players on tape, but I do want to give credit to Tom and Fox. Tom and Fox oh, seem yeah. to be on the field more often. And when 49's on the field, you notice him. He's playing good football. He's somebody who they did a good job of figuring out and scouting and finding a way, you know, bringing onto the roster as a core piece that can help them on specials, but also now on defense. And I'll be excited to watch the film to see Tillman Fox, because I thought at least broadcast wise, he stood out to me. My two favorite UDFAs were Trenton Thompson and Tillman Fox. And I'm so glad that one of them ended up making the roster and I'm glad it is Fox. And if you were to say though, man, even tell me who, and I really liked Fox's tape. If you would have told me like, Hey, this guy's going to be playing, you know, like 20, 25 snaps. And yeah, Kayvon Thibodeau, he's there. You got your hot ward in this game. You didn't have O'Shane. You didn't have Aziz. Right. But even when those guys were there, he was earning like 10, 12 snaps. Like I just love the physicality that he plays with. I think he actually has pass rushing moves. He has some bend. He's built like, like little Bowser kind of like he's so like like he's not the tallest guy he's like six foot right and he's just so low to the ground and so dense but he seems like he has long arms i don't know the measurements but it seems like he has long arms and yeah. he knows how to employ them too so i'm really happy for tom and fox and another guy that i think we should give some flowers to even though he got burnt bad on that double move was dory jackson because he had like three or four plays before that right. where you're like damn dude that's cornerback one type stuff and then he just got caught looking it happens man tyler lockett can run routes yeah, and I want to give a shout out even to Julian Love. I thought he had a really heady play on the um, right before early in the game when they when they uh, forced a field goal. The Giants forced Seattle into a field goal either to go up ten seven or thirteen ten. Uh, I don't remember which one. Um, Julian Love could add a defensive pass interference. He was beat by Tyler Lockett. That was the pass where Lockett didn't get the second foot in uh, in bounds. A really good mm. ball again by Geno Smith. But I thought I you know I always see defensive backs panic in that spot and interfere basically because he doesn't have time to get his head around back toward the line of scrimmage where it's legal. Instead, he kind of just like flailed his arms up and and knew that he needed to get out of the way because it was a better chance for his team if he got out of the way rather than try to defend the pass, which is going to be an auto flag every they'll, they'll, they'll throw that flag every time. For first and goal to one. So just a little shout out, small little thing there, but I thought it was a heady move by him. Um, Even yeah. after this loss, Dan, I feel like we can still give this team some love because they follow the characteristics that this coaching staff in front office want. They're smart, tough, and they're dependable. Like they're tough in this game. They had, they had mental errors, like the false starts. It's more of a product of environment. It is. And then the fumbles, unfortunate. That just sucks. It's going to happen sometimes. On the player, though. That's on the it's player. It's on the player. Exactly. Like, 
you still see plays like that Julian Love one. I'm glad you brought that up. Like that's a smart play. Julian Love, incredibly smart individual, incredibly smart football player. Like I really enjoy having a team like that. Like Dane Belton, mm-hmm. dude. Like you, have you ever heard Julian Love talk about Dane Belton? When no. they brought when they brought Dane Belton in, everybody was kind of ragging on Julian Love because Dane Belton is as intelligent as he is as a person. Okay. So they're all saying like he's like a little Julian Love because <laughs> like they all kind of like busting his chops and stuff like that. And you kind of see it on the field too, right? Obviously, you just see how he can use his eyes to bait even a quarterback like Geno Smith. Like we said, he was playing really good. Right. Like that should have been a pick, but. Unfortunately, Jihad Ward did a good job and knocked the ball out of the air. So I like the fact that we're building this this team in in, in that real manner of what Joe Shane is trying to say, which is, you know, smart, tough, and dependable. But, you know, let's hope uh, we keep finding guys like that. Hopefully these guys can end up actually making those plays because it's a lot of like, oh, it would have been this, but it didn't actually happen. Right, exactly. All right, Nick, anything else on this quick rapid reaction before we get to the tape? No, I think that's good. Just a tough loss, uh, regroup, yeah. and then take down the Texans. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, look, it's a tough loss. The Giants are now six and two, but they still have a really good opportunity to go into that Cowboys game nine and three. And to me, Nick, it will. I've now gotten to the point with this team where it will be a major disappointment if they lose to either the Texans or the Lions. The Texans and the Lions are currently one and six apiece. If you're one and six, you're a how really dare big. you? Houston's one five and one. <laughs> Oh, they won five and one. You're right. They are one five and one. They had to tie into the Colts the first week that I, for some reason, was considering a loss. I don't know why in my head. If you're losing to a one win team halfway through the season, as a six and two team, that's a bad loss. No matter how you slice it, you can say right now, you can sit here, listen to this podcast, and be saying in your head, the Giants shouldn't be saying they should win over anyone. No, no, no. We've passed that point. This is no longer the same Giants team of yesteryear where they're losing a lot of games. They've won a lot of game, close games this year, and they've won. A, they've come out victorious in most of them, in, you know, all but two. They need to beat these two one-win teams. They need to 100% beat these teams. I don't mind if they lose to Dallas, but it is what it is. But they need to beat these teams. They need to be going into. So it's uh, they actually would be, what, 8-2 and two going into the Dallas then? Yeah, I believe so. And uh, yeah. that's the Thanksgiving game. Yep. Both of the games out of the bye are home. And then obviously the Dallas right. one is two home Jerry. games as well. Yep. And honestly, I'm a little bit more worried about Detroit. And Detroit, they're just frustrating. Like, I love Dan Campbell, like his, you know, persona and all that. He was cool in hard knocks, but like, I don't know how much longer that's going to last when you have these leads and you blow them. Like, they were up 21 to seven or something at home against Miami in your building and you allow Miami to come back and win. Like, that's that's tough to swallow. But I'm still a little scared of that team, just in the sense that if the Giants regress their defense, DeAndre Swift, who's only going to get healthier, presumably, right? True. Who, coming back from the shoulder injury, that's a dangerous dude. And this is two weeks in advance. But the Texans, man, I look at the Texans offense, and I'm like, yeah, Damian Pierce, absolute stud. But the Giants should be able to shut down Davis Mills. And Wink Martindale against Davis Mills should be fun. And then the Giants... Offense right. should be able to run the football against their defense. So that's a game coming out of the bye. If the Giants lose, that's that's inexcusable. Yeah, hundred percent. That's when we start to worry because the matchup is too good against the Texans. Way too good. And then against the Lions, the matchup may not be that great, or as good as it is against the Texans. Say, but man, the way that they play that defense over there in Detroit with Aaron Glenn, that if the if the Giants' offense doesn't move the ball through the air in that game, 
that's when I start to get seriously concerned. And that's when I'm going to start to look beyond just the, 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 I don't want to call it a lazy narrative, but the quote unquote accepted narrative that it's simply these receivers, because look, it doesn't matter who your receivers are against that Detroit defense right now to it was just tossing at will against them today. They play way too much, man. They don't have good discipline. They're horrific defense. The lines, they are arguing. There are the worst defense in the NFL. So that's a game and their past defense is just way. That's the real thing. It's the worst. Maybe the, is that the worst pass defense in the NFL? It has to be right. I haven't looked at this wild because their run defense, I think is the worst in the NFL, but they did a good job today against Raheem Mostert. But in general, I'm pretty sure they're widely regarded by a lot of metrics as the worst run defense in the NFL. Just an overall bad defense. So the Giants yeah. coming out. Look, they're six and two now. We're hoping they get to eight and two. They have to get to eight and two, in my opinion. They have to beat both of those teams. And once you get there, then you know you're in a really good position moving forward for the rest of the season. So things are still really looking good, right? They lost this game. It's going to be a little negative for a few days, or you're not going to feel great about it. No one feels good after a loss, but they're still in such a really good position heading into these final, you know, for heading into the bye week, and then those two games before the de- the big Dallas game. And I'm looking forward to that big Dallas game and Thanksgiving, man. So I know I know. can't wait. My cousin, Brian, who sometimes listens to the show, um, he was like, before the year, he said, all I care about is going into that Thanksgiving or going into our Thanksgiving hangout with the family and actually having that game mean something. And he's no matter what happens, even if they somehow lose these next two games and go to six and four, which would be devastating. And then we're going to be really sad. This game's still going to matter, right? Because if they win, they'll go to seven and four. So, and they'll still be right in the thick of it. So, no matter what, it matters. So, you got your wish, Brian. And I think every Giants fan was hoping to spend that day with their families and then watching important, you know, meaningful Giants football. And you're going to get it. So, and the NFC is so bad that so bad, like dude. it's such a horrendous conference right now that the Giants are le- legit competitors at the moment, and that's great to see. Yeah. <laughs> And if they see the team they just lost to is a legit competitor. Like that's oh, how yeah. we are viewing it. You have to transition off the fact that like Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady is Tom Brady. They're still those guys, but their teams suck. Their yeah. teams are horrendous. Right. Like the books can't get out of their own way. Green Bay, they just played Buffalo, but they've sucked for several weeks. So like those guys are out of it. Now you're looking at Minnesota. You're looking at Seattle. You're looking at the 49ers. You're looking at obviously the Eagles and the Cowboys and then the Giants. Like that's, that's yep. what we have right here in the NFC. You're hundred percent right. And I'll say this, there is still a path for the Giants in this, depending on how things goes, a, a big game will be that Dallas Thanksgiving game. It, it, if they take care of business, the Giants, and win versus the Texans-Lions like they should, and then win that Dallas game, they'll be in a position to potentially get what's going to be gold this year, which is that five seed, because if you're a wild card team, I mean, if you don't win the division, let's say the Eagles win, because they're still going to have a chance to do that, too. If they beat the Eagles, they win the division, but the Eagles are freaking phenomenal football team right now, so we'll see. But the gold is that five seed because then you potentially you're most likely going to get to play the South winner and that South winner, the, the giant <laughs> who's winning the South right now. Is it going to be the, the Falcons, the, 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 I guess the bucks look like a total disaster and a mess of a football team. And they're super injured. And we, we have to get to the point where we're just like, Todd Bowles sucks as a coach, right? Like Todd Bowles yeah, is terrific so. as the jets coach. There's no, everyone's like, all right, whatever, no talent, blah, blah, blah. Every time he gets a head coaching job, like how does this team go from just this team should not be that bad. The Their offensive line is, is significantly yeah, regressed and the sure. injuries there. But no, yeah, it's 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 a tough watch. It really is. It There's is. a lot of tough watches right but now. Getting a chance to play that NFC South. That's that's what you should be striving for. Play the NFC South in that wild card Dude, game. Think about like some of the I don't know, we'll probably get out of here soon, but think about some of the preseason teams that we thought were gonna be good, like Denver. Yeah. <laughs> 
disgusting. Like the Buccaneers, Green Bay. Like it, it's such a wild year, bro. And then Geno wild. Smith is 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 playing at an MVP level. Yeah, again, <laughs> it's just a weird football's a weird game, and that's partially why we got this nice surprise of a giant six and two season at this point. Oh, yeah. And we're still talking about meaning football. I'm still so grateful for it, and thank you to all the fans who've been tuning in lately. I hope you guys can stick through us for uh, through the bad weeks as well, because it wasn't always good. We're not going to win every game. We knew that uh, it was impossible to do. But uh, anyway, thanks to everybody tuning in. Have a great rest of your week. You'll hear from us soon. We got film breakdowns coming. Uh, after that, we're probably gonna have a little bit of lighter side to the end of the week because, uh, Nick has family coming in and that to me is more important than football. And I think a lot of you would agree with that as well. So he's going to spend time with his family who's visiting him and we might try to get something in if you can sneak away from them for like an hour and a half, maybe like a bi-week mailbag or something, but stay tuned on that. Obviously the week after will be a little bit lighter too, without any games to recap, but that's when, um, he'll have more free time and I'll have more free time. And we'll, we'll start to do some fun stuff like another mailbag, maybe a mid season report, grades, things of that nature, just kind of spice things up for that. No week of football. So anyway, thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you later. Have a great rest of your week and go Giants. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.